Today is going to be a little bit different. I know that you are used to exegetical, um, expository uh, teaching. And that is my favorite way uh, to preach. It's also my favorite way to listen to it. I love when you work through a book. And Pastor Chris tells me you guys are going to be working through John coming up. And that's awesome because John is one of my favorite letters, one of my favorite uh, gospels, I should say. Um, and he's going to work through that verse by verse. But today we're going to talk. About, we're going to actually go over a topic. So we'll be bouncing around a little bit in the Bible um, and going over some things. The video I think was very applicable and appropriate um, because in introduction to the topic, because the topic today is one that I believe brings more confusion and more uh, well, just frustration, if you will to the Christian life, and that is knowing the will of God for you, okay? Because sometimes we just, we, we want to find it, we want to know it, but it's really hard to know it. Um, and so I'm hopefully, in the next half hour or so, going to be able to open this up and help you f- understand what the Word says about God's will for you. Because it, it's been something I have been very confused about, something that I have struggled to find. And I believe that the Capital Ministries, um, I finally believe that I'm actually working within God's will. And uh, so I'll tell you that story and how that developed. But um, if you open up to Ephesians, we're going to be Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 15 uh, 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. One of life's biggest challenges for the regenerated Christian is to find God's will for your life. There's two primary misconceptions about God's will that I want to dispel with and that I want to lay out to you. The first one I call the Easter egg problem, the Easter egg syndrome about God's will. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and uh, for, on Easter. It, it, anybody take their kids to an Easter egg hunt or have an Easter egg hunt? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so did we. Now, growing up, you've got to understand, growing up, I was the second youngest of five boys, um, one of my brothers, uh, your, your Tooele County Sheriff, uh, Paul, uh, who is much, much older and slightly better looking than me, um, well, he's here, and we, we'd have these Easter egg hunts, and it was dog eat dog, man. Elbows would be thrown, knees would be thrown, and you got what you got, and that's all you got. Well, it's, it's much, much more PC. Easter egg hunts are much more politically correct these days. As... as uh, my kids' aunt, uh, my sister, she'll go out and hide the eggs. And it's like, okay, you're assigned the pink ones, you're assigned the green ones, and you get the blue ones, and you can only collect the ones that are your color. So everybody gets the same amount, right? And they're out there searching for your eggs, and you're trying to find your eggs, and you can't find your eggs, and it's frustrating. And, oh, uh, well, how does that relate? Well, because that's how many Christians view God's will for your life. That you're on an Easter egg hunt. That you're on some cosmological search for God's will for your life as if he has hidden it from you. But that is not true. Why would God want you to do his will yet hide it from you? That's just not the case. 
So I want you to get rid of that idea right now today. God does not hide his will from you, okay? But sometimes it's a little bit difficult to find out what it is. Secondly, we misunderstand what it means to be in the will of God, okay? Um, Part of the confusion stems from the fact that the Bible is completely silent when it comes to knowing how or knowing what God's will is for your individual life, okay? 27 times the will of God is used, and every single time it is used to define his sovereign superior will. It is not used to describe how you can find his individual will for your life. And this frustration can lead to some really wacky ideas. For instance, perhaps you're a young man and you're out looking for a wife. And you're just walking along thinking, God, will you please send me a sign? Show me what your will is for my wife, my future bride. And as you're walking, all of a sudden, there's a Coca-Cola can on the ground. You're like, oh, great. So you start kicking it, you know, you're just kicking it down the street. And then, oh, manna from heaven, there's... A beautiful blonde girl wearing a Coca-Cola t-shirt up there in the parking lot. And you're like, oh, Lord, I have found your will. But nobody told her, okay? You go, if you're supposed to be my wife. No, nobody filled her in, right? Or, even worse, Bible roulette. You ever done Bible roulette? You know what Bible roulette is? I'll show you what Bible roulette is. I'm struggling with something in my life. Dear Lord, give me your will. Uh-huh. Okay. Or... Or you flip through, you flip through, and they ah, put a finger there, and you see what it says, and you say, oh, that's God's will for me. Well, there's this little joke. There's this joke about um, a guy who was depressed. That's obviously not a joke, but this man was depressed, and he wanted to know what God's will was for him, so he engaged in a game of Bible roulette. And he's flipping through, and wham! Lands on Matthew 27.5, where it says, he went out and hanged himself. He's like, I don't like that. So I'm going to do this again. Go through and bam, lands on Luke 10, 37, where it says, you, go and do likewise. <laughs> Holy smokes. He's like, no, I don't like this. Okay, flip through again. Boom, John 13, 27. What you are going to do, do it quickly. <laughs> it's madness. It's madness. But sometimes the frustration that we get causes us to engage in madness, or perhaps, perhaps not understanding the will of God can cause us to delay. Okay, Isaiah forty thirty one says to wait on the Lord. The problem is some Christians spend all their time waiting on the Lord. Oh Lord, what is your will for me? Oh Lord, what is your will for me? It's like the guy you hear you've you've heard this before, I'm sure, but the guy that uh, he uh, his boat sinks out in the middle of the ocean. He's floating in the ocean. He's like, oh dear Lord, save me, dear Lord, save me. A boat drives by and says, hey you. You need help? He's like, no, the Lord's going to save me. And the boat goes on. And uh, so he's like, Lord, save me, save me. And another boat comes by and says, hey, you need help? He's like, no, no, the Lord's going to save me. I'm okay. The boat goes off. Guy drowns. He goes up to him. He's like, Lord, you're supposed to save me. And the Lord says, I sent you two boats. You know? Um, The fact is, sometimes Christians' misunderstanding of God's will causes them to really be, dare I say, unproductive. And possibly lead an unfulfilling life, um, one that is full of frustration and unneeded indecision. 
we already know that not conforming our lives to Scripture is a bad idea, right? No matter what you feel, no matter what you think, no matter what you say, if your beliefs do not align with what God says, you're wrong and God is right. Amen? But there is rarely an area in the Christian walk that is so often misunderstood and taken out of biblical context than God's will. So let's break some things down. Let's talk about some of the things. The reason this is so near and dear to me is because for, for almost 40 years of my life, I have not understood this concept. I've not understood this. And I want to save those of you that have been frustrated with this. I want to save you some of that frustration. And I want to show you what it takes to walk in the will of God. First thing you need to understand is that God has a sovereign will that is his alone. It is superior and it is all supreme. What does God get? Whatever he wants, right? Okay. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's Ephesians 1.11. He works all things according to his will. Do not, do not expect God to be fired up about the same things that fire you up. Oh, dear Lord, should I go to Disneyland in California or Florida? Guess what? He doesn't really care. Okay? I know you're fired up about it, but mm, he doesn't really have a will for you to go one way or the other. You know, East Coast, West Coast. Okay? Um, don't realize God's will is eternal. Ours sometimes, not so much. Okay? Um, God's will is not for you to drive a Chevy versus a Ford. Sorry, don't throw anything at me. Okay? Or a Ford versus a Chevy. Um, he does not have a will on where you go to lunch today after church. Just don't go to La Frontera because you'll take my table. Okay? Um, or dare I say, dare I say, for you young folks that are unmarried, he does not necessarily, every time specifically, have a will on the one that you should marry. Can you imagine as a young person how stressful that would be? I got to find the one that God wills for me. I got to find the one that God made for me. Well, how many people do we have living in the United States? A lot, a lot, good answer. Well, what if your one lives in India? What then? Okay, see, (laughs) you'll go, okay, head off to India. Good call. Excellent. He found the one. (laughs) You know, this line of thinking, if taken to extreme, can be very, very dangerous. Okay? Because as you get married and as you're going through marriage, you will run into rough spots. There will be hard times. There will be difficult times. And if you are not grounded in truth of what God's will is, You may be susceptible to say, oh, gee, you're sitting with your girlfriends or you're hanging out with your your boys. I just think I married the wrong one. I think that God had somebody else planned for me. And uh, well, where does that take you? You married the wrong one. Now you have the wrong kids. Somebody else had the wrong kids too because you missed the one? No, 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 no. Matter of fact, I'm dovetailing here. 
But do you want to know what God's will for your marriage is? It is to find a fellow believer in Christ, build a godly marriage centered on Christ, stay true to that spouse until the end. Period. That is God's will for your marriage. For men to love their wives as Christ loved the church and for women to respect and submit to their husbands. That is the will of God for your marriage. It is not, I hope I get the right one. There is simply no Bible passage when taken in context that points to God having a will for every mundane aspect of your life. But just because he does not have a will for every aspect of your life, where you go to lunch, does not mean he does not have a will for your life. He absolutely does. So, what is this will? I contend that the Bible shows us several different wills. But I'm going to focus on three. Focus on three. I contend that the first is that he wills for you to be saved. For you to reach salvation. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 1 Timothy 2.3-4 says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And then, of course, we all know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is God's first and prior, prioritized will for your life, that you would be saved. And so I ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you relied on him as your Savior? You see, well, you know, I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. So the first is for you to be saved. Once you've been saved, if you're not saved, if you don't, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not surrendered your life to him, then the other two are not necessarily applicable, but let's, go, let's walk down, down them anyway. The first, to be saved. Second, is that you be sanctified. This is the second major will for God for you. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now, let me define the term. Because once we are saved, once we have accepted Christ into our lives, once we are depending on Him solely for our salvation, He takes our sin from us, and He takes it, and then He imputes His righteousness into us. So we are sanctified at that moment. The way I'm I'm defining sanctification here is growth in Christ. Maturity in Christ is seen throughout the Bible As Paul writes to Timothy, he talks to him about maturing and growing in Christ. So that is the second great will of Christ. He says in Philippians 1, 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he will complete what he has begun. And that is the way I'm defining sanctification. So number one, be saved. Number two, be sanctified in Christ and grow in Christ. Those are two, two major wills. That Jesus has for your life. Finally, we read about the third, and quite possibly the, can't say the most important, the third, and exceptionally important, (laughs) will for your life. And it is found 
in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The third great desire of God's heart for your life is for you to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. If you've been saved and you're growing in Christ, then you need to go, whatever that looks like. Whether that means you go to a foreign country, whether you go to the state capital, whether you go next door to your neighbor Bob's house and invite him over for a steak. It is go and spread the gospel message. Those three things, I cannot stress enough. So many of us wait around, oh Lord, I want to be in your perfect will. And yes, we do. We should pray for that. But at the same time, we wait around so long that we're not doing anything to make Jesus famous. The Great Commission is not optional for believers in Christ. We are to reach, serve, and love people whenever, wherever, and however we can. The importance of these three points cannot be overemphasized. Seek the Lord and be saved. Grow in Christ. And then spread the good news. As it said here, I'm from Gunnison. It's where we live. We've lived there for almost four years. Small little town. You've got a booming metropolis compared to Gunnison out here in Tooele. Good grief. Walked in. I, I drive in this morning. I'm like, what is this traffic? Um, well, if you're ever out to Gunnison, it's my little town. We have a couple restaurants there. Not too many, but we have a few. We have Shelly's. Uh, Shelly's a nice little hamburger joint. And just a few months ago, they brought in manna from heaven. This new batter fry. This French fry that is so good, it is better than any French fry you've ever had before. And I'm telling you, when they brought these in, I became the fry evangelist. Okay? I said, have you had the fries at Shelly's? Oh, my goodness. They are delicious. They're great. You know, aren't we like that? We're like that. We get the newest, greatest, coolest thing, and we like to tell everybody and brag it up. I got the new iPhone 6,240. Bet you wish you had one. Um, it does everything, and it even microwaves your popcorn. Um, we tell people about things that matter to us, things that are cool, things that are great. You know, but if, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been given the absolute greatest thing that you will ever get from eternity to eternity, and that is this. Jesus Christ came down to us. It says, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does that mean? It means the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. That means that we are sinners. And that sin has cut us off from a perfect God. But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. That is the gospel message. That is the greatest thing. We, Jesus Christ reached down as we were in the depths of hell and pulled us up through the sacrifice that he gave, gave and paid 
for each one of us. Now, if that's not the greatest news that you could be sharing with people, I don't know what is. If that's not infinitely better than your iPhone 6000 or a battered French fry, I don't know what is. But it needs to be spread around. That love and that good news of Jesus Christ needs to be spread. And we need to evangelize. So those are three primary wills for your life. But does God have a specific will for us? I believe he does. Although God may not have a passionate preference regarding the minutia of your daily walk, McDonald's, Burger King, um, make no mistake, he desires to be intimately involved in your life. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. To walk with your God. Daily. To be involved with him. To come to him every day, each day. To include him in your life. We are to walk with God and place Jesus Christ at the center of our lives. And when we do this, we will find ourselves living dead center in his will. And when we're in the center of God's will, it brings a peace and a joy that can get you through the darkest hours. You can be poor and content If you're living in God's will. You can be persecuted and have peace. If you're living in God's will. Or you can have all the riches of the world. And be miserable. If you're living outside the will of God. What is it that makes Christians in third world countries. Who are facing daily rigors of life. You, see, you know what a daily rigor of life for me is? I may have told you this, but it is. I mean, the fight, the, the struggle is real, people. I wake up and I pull a bowl of cereal, luscious Apple Jacks, whatever. And I go to the fridge and I open it, and what? No milk. Oh, man, the devastation of that. And you just like slam the fridge and... You don't even bother putting the cereal back in the box because you're so mad. That's our daily struggle. Or maybe it's traffic. You know, maybe that's our struggle. In these third world countries, the struggles are thirst. Where, where some kids in the family, their entire job is fetching water all day long. You know, we have water everywhere in our house. Every bathroom, every sink. I never thought of this until I heard, um, I heard a singer, a Christian singer at a concert, and he was talking about how much water was in his house and how excited he was about it. And he's like, I have a sink here, and three feet behind me, attached to the fridge is a little nozzle you push, and water comes out. You know, 20-some-odd places for water in your home. There's a nozzle on the front, and there's a nozzle on the back in case your hose won't go that far. In some third world countries, all they do is fetch water from one watering hole all day long. They're persecuted. Persecuted in a way that the American church does not understand. Does not know. I just read a couple days ago, one of the things, you know, uh, my family, we support... uh, some Christian missionaries in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is a Muslim country closed off for Christians. 
without giving away too much. They're over there. They work. They have jobs. They're a benefit to the society. That's why they're able to live there. But they evangelize the people of that country. And what they say is that when they get a new convert that comes from, um, from uh, Islam, they have that new convert write down a list of everybody they know. And then they ask them, circle the top five or ten people who will not kill you for having converted to Christianity. And so they'll do that. Sometimes they only have two people. And then they're asked to go and evangelize them and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what people in foreign countries are doing. Yet they're happy. Why? Because they're living in God's will. The daily will of God is made known to those of us and those of you who have trusted in Christ for salvation and have been transformed through him. I want to offer you a couple things because you say, okay, that's great, Wimmer. There's three big things that are the will of God, to be saved, to be sanctified, and to serve and evangelize. But I kind of want some deeper things in that. How else can I know the daily will of God? So let me just give you a few tips, a few pointers, a few things that we are biblically based. First of all, read your Bible. Through regular and um, study and meditation on God's word, you will know his desires for you. God never leads contrary to his written word. Let me say that again. God never leads contrary to his written word. So spend time regularly in the Bible. The word of God is also revealed through the Holy Spirit. In fact, the early church re- relied almost into, exclusively on the Holy Spirit. They didn't have... You know, I read from Ephesians. Ephesians was written in 62 A.D. as Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Okay? Just a few short years before he was to be beheaded, um, Paul wrote the letter to Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus. The early church didn't have the Bible. The letters hadn't been written. The letters hadn't been put together. So they relied heavily and exclusively on the Holy Spirit to know God's will for them and for the direction of the church. Did they have some magical thing that we didn't have? Did they have some special access to the Holy Spirit that we don't have? No, the Holy Spirit has come. And when you are born again, you're regenerated in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And it is in you just as it was Peter, James, and John. And you can know his will as long as you're living within his, you're seeking him and you're spending time with him. The will of God can be revealed through a reformed conscience. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So how do we discern the will of God? By being transformed in the renewal of our mind. The will of God is also revealed through changing circumstances. Romans 8.28, you probably know this one, says, And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So changing circumstances oftentimes reveals to us the will of God. But that, I'm going to be honest, that's probably the most common one for me. And it's definitely the most painful one. Because you're fighting against his will. You're fighting against what he wants. And what does God get? Anything he wants. Okay? So I'll give you an example. Um. As some of you know, I ran for the United States Congress in 2012. Okay. I 
uh, ran by all measures almost a perfect campaign. I raised more money than anybody else. I had more endorsements than anybody else. I was leading in the polls the entire time. And then election day came at the convention, and I was crushed, defeated, handily. Now, there was a lot of things that went behind that, none the least of which that Mitt Romney, two days before the convention, endorsed my opponent. Um, I was Romneyed. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, the fact is, I had no idea what the heck God was doing. I'm like, what in the world? I was supposed to go to Washington, D.C. and save the Constitution and all this, and I was supposed to be this great guy. And now I, I, I don't even know what to do with my life. And then a few weeks later, I get this job in Nevada, okay, to run the Nevada GOP, the Nevada Republican Party. It's all over the news. Wimmer leaving Utah, front page news. And uh, I'm on my way down there when I get a phone call from somebody that says, hey, I don't think you really have a job when you get here. I'm like, what do you mean? I've, I've got a contract. I'm like, well, we find out. So I got there and found out I really didn't have a job when I got there. So 24 hours later, I drive back to Utah unemployed with it playing out on, the, on every TV station, every news station, every newspaper. Oh, you talk about humbleness. You want to talk about God mashing you until he can form you into what he wants? Well, let me tell you, I have finally decided, finally decided that I, I'm tired of trying to convince God to conform and contort his will to the desires of myself. Okay, because so many of us try to say, okay, God, um, your will be done, but this is what I really, really want, you know, right here. And uh, why don't you get behind me, you know, just follow me here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead the way and you just carve the path for me. It doesn't work that way. And so it took a while, but God, in his wonderful grace, led me to him, led my family to him. And almost immediately after uh, coming to Christ, I was called by Ralph Drollinger, a guy that I'm going to show you a little video here in a second, and you'll see. Ralph Drollinger is a former NBA basketball player, and he formed a, a, uh, a, a ministry called Capital Ministries in 1996, where he goes and he teaches the state, or excuse me, the federal legislators in Washington, D.C. He does a weekly Bible study for them. And he expanded it to just about every state, and to many countries, uh, Belarus, Burundi, in Africa, many different countries. And he came to Utah, and he looked me up, and he says, hey, I want you to be the Capital Ministries Director in Utah. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not what God wants me to do. No, 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 no. I want to do uh, what I really had my heart set on was to do uh, marriage seminars. I love uh, like Family Life Today, if you've ever been to one of their weekends to remember, anything like that, that is my thing. And I'm like, that's, my, that's God's will for me, because that's what I want. I'm like, no, sorry, Ralph, I'm not going to do capital ministries. Well, door after door would be closed trying to put on marriage seminars, trying to do something in that regard. It, just, it was like walking uphill in the snow both ways to school. That's what they did in my, age, my days. Finally, I'm like, okay, fine you know what, maybe this capital ministries thing isn't so bad. I, I, I had some emails. I had a lot of people from the legislature emailing me, asking me questions about my new faith, my newfound faith. And 
I'm like, well, maybe, they, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. You know, just little nuggets of things that God kept putting in my place saying, this is kind of where I want you. So I call up Ralph almost two years later. I say, Ralph, have you found anybody to fill the Utah spot? And he says, no, we're just waiting for you to say yes. I'm like, all right, well, yes, you know. And so they flew me to Washington, D.C. last October, just a few months ago. And I went through the training and came back and started Capital Ministries in Utah. And it has not been without its struggles, but it is also clearly where God wants my life right now. He, it's just so perfect. I was in politics. I was in office. I know most of the legislators, so I have instant credibility. Those who are having questions of faith can come to me and feel like they have a safe, comfortable place to talk. And that is what happened. Just a few weeks ago, the legislative session ended. But every week during the legislative session, I was up there handing out. I'd create a biblical-based Bible study, and I'd hand it out to them. Now, the second week I was there, um, I handed them all out. And then about 10 minutes later, a buddy of mine who serves in the legislature brought them all to me. He says, I was told to bring these back to you. I'm like, why? Now, get this. This happened. I promise it happened. I'm not embellishing, but it's nuts. Okay? I said, why? He says, because I'm told that what you're doing is illegal. And that actually, if you continue on it, you could be arrested. I'm like, wait a second. I served up here for six years, and every single day my desk was inundated with pro-abortion, anti-biblical garbage from people who were lobbying But a guy who is not a paid lobbyist, a guy who is actually paying to come here and paying to print off Bible studies, this is all my wife and I. I can't come up here and petition my government? And so I immediately called called Ralph. Ralph called the ACLJ, you know, Jay Seculo's group. They do the attorney stuff for Capital Ministries. And by that afternoon, it had cleared itself up. And they said it was a misunderstanding and we're really sorry. Good, good. Um, you know, and it was based off of the complaint of one person. And this was not an angry atheist. This was someone who would probably consider themselves very righteous and religious, but they, they fought against it. But uh, God won. Um, and so every week I'd go up there. And about the fourth week, well, maybe the second week, it was all the days went into, weeks went into one, I had a, a woman who was a lobbyist, a government lobbyist. Ooh, bad word, I know. Um, she came up to me, and, and, and she says, I've been watching you, and I knew you back then, and I know you now. And she's like, I thought you were kind of faking it, you know, for a while, because you kind of went crazy, all Jesus freakish on us, you know? And I'm not quite sure what to think of it. But it's been three years now, and you haven't let up. I want what you have. And today... That woman and her family attend South Mountain Church, Christian Church in Lehigh. And so being available and doing what God's asked you to do brings so much joy and peace. And it just is amazing, amazing experience. So I want you to seek out what God has willed for you. But don't wait forever. Get moving. If we are the body of Christ, let's move. Let's work. Let's serve the hurting. 
Let's love those who are, who are heartbroken. Let's feed the hungry. And let's give them the message of Christ. Because that's the greatest thing you could bring someone. Um, what I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you again. Pray for your church. Then they're going to show that video, and then the worship team will come up and close with the song. I just want to tell you this one thing, though. I heard this. I heard Billy Graham said this. He said, the ultimate goal for a Christian, for a mature Christian, is to be walking so closely with Jesus that you never have to ask what his will is because you already know. I have no idea what that looks like yet. Okay? But that is the ultimate goal for a Christian, to be walking so close to Jesus every day that you don't even have to ask what his will is because you already know. God bless you. I'm just so great, grateful to be here with you. You're just beautiful people. And uh, I love you in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here, God. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, I just uh, I pray for the good people of this uh, Tooele Springs Calvary Chapel. Lord, I pray that they would continue to be a light to this area, a light in the darkness. Lord, that they would make you famous. Not for their glory, no, Lord. Not for their satisfaction. Not for their pat on the back. But for your glory, God. And that, Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you yet, that's struggling, that just isn't quite sure what to believe, that, God, you would pierce their hearts with your truth, that you would open their eyes to the holy and glorious gospel, the truth that will set them free in Jesus Christ, and the passion that can come from a life lived for you. Lord, we dedicate this day to you and ask you to glorify us and allow us to glorify you as we go out amongst our mission field and the people that we talk to every day. Help us to find your will. Help us to live in your will and to serve you. In Jesus' name.